Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves Smallville Retro Reviews. Tonight we are covering two favorite Smallville episodes of the second season. The first one being Rosetta, the first appearance of Virgil Swan, played by Superman actor Christopher Reeve. And the second being the season two finale, Exodus. Now, before we start, I'll introduce myself as Michael J. Petty, and with me is my co-host. Who asked What's going on, everybody? I, I, I don't think they can hear you. They can't hear me? Well, no, I, I don't think they can respond. They don't have mics. Well, you know, they can mentally respond to they could yell at their iPods, I guess. Yes. Well, after a great week of television, we sit down here to record. So, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Before we start, should we let our listeners know some news about DC Comics cancellations of certain titles, sir? We should. Why don't you take that away, Will? Well, I was watching G4's Attack of the Show, which I think is one of the best, or I think was the only really good original series that they have, and I saw on the bulletin board that Hawk and Dove and our milestones, um, Static shock and are going to be canceled very soon. And there was another total of those talking about and static shock where the only number that caught my eye. What are your views on this? Um, I never read either of the titles. I am not a giant fan of the Hawking Dove characters in general. So I have no real relation to them, but growing up with the Static Shock T V series and reading the current, before the New 52 uh, Teen Titans comic where they introduced him as a Titan I'm kind of attached to Static so I'm actually surprised and a little upset that his book is getting cancelled so quickly Well, you know Static Shock for me I was never a huge fan of I like the show, but um I also the all black um, character based Division of DC Comics, that's their only real big hit, really. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, if our listeners want to email us and talk of some other big titles, Static was really the, famous, the most famous title, and I don't know what's going to go on for you know, Milestone after this good show. I mean, they could bring it back, they did it with Green Arrow. Right, they could definitely bring it back. I mean, the other milestone character that's out currently, that's still in the New 52 DC Comics universe, is Grifter. And I don't know much about him. I know he was a big part of Flashpoint, along with Cyborg and some other lower, lesser-known characters. And I know they're trying to step these little characters into the forefront. Like, they've already done so by replacing Martian Manhunter with Cyborg on the Justice League, and now Grifter has his own book, so... Which I know you're not a big fan of. Well, I'm not a big fan of Cyborg replacing Martian Manhunter, no. I mean, I love Cyborg, 
on the Teen Titans and on the small boats. The shot is just too big on the team. Yeah. You know. But the very, but we do have some good DC comics here. There's videos of Earth 2 being, uh, next issues of Earth 2 going to be released to like it. Within the next few months, and Batman Incorporated being released in the next few months. Also, news that one of my partner's favorite titles, just as late number one, was the best-selling DC comic of 2011. Which I'm very proud of too. Jeff Johns and Jim Lee are. That's just a great team up. I think that's the. Uh, of everything they relaunched within the past year, I think that's the most popular that I've seen overall received. That made incorporated by um, um, Mr. Morrison. I know you've not been a huge fan of, but that was the other big one. But JLA number one was really well received by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I just have a problem with there being more than one Batman patrolling more than one city, you know? Yeah. But I, but I knew that wasn't going to last very long because, you know, people would get, people like you, hardcore fans, would get, really have a problem if it lasted long, but apparently that's winding down, which I'm happy about too. Yeah, I mean, first of all, they brought Dick Grayson down a level and brought him back up as Nightwing, which I think is better, personally, because it took him so long to establish himself as a full-blown superhero as Nightwing. And then just to go to the Batman persona, it seems like a little cop-out to me, you know? But if anyone should have taken it after Bruce, it's him. So, I get but both it's sides. Kinda like when Superman, but it's like when, like, Kal-El died, when Doomsday killed him, and they brought on all these, like, quote-unquote other Superman to take his place. I think that that was just, like, a hiatus period for the writers, in terms of just trying to find a speed again. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They did have to, um extend a period of time while Bruce was gone and they had to establish Dick as Batman and all that. I get that. I get both sides of the argument. But I'm leaning more toward the side of Nightwing than him as Batman. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. But we actually... Talking about... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, but we do actually have some other DC Comics news. I don't know if you've heard this or not. But... Probably not. <laughs> well, we'll see. The CW has ordered a pilot episode for a Green Arrow TV series entitled Arrow, written by the writers of the Green Lantern movie. Okay, I've seen some news about a Green Arrow show on Krypton site, but I didn't look into it too deeply. What, what have you heard so far? That's all that they've released, and that Justin Hartley currently is not attached to the project. Okay, I have a mixed bag about that. First of all, you have to explain in the pilot why this Green Arrow is different than the Green Arrow we've already seen. They're going to have to do the same thing Spider-Man's going to do later on this summer. Well, the thing is, they haven't said if it's a Smallville spinoff or not. Just like the Booster Gold show that they've ordered for sci-fi. We don't know yet if it's a Smallville spinoff or not. I'm assuming both of these shows are not. But I don't know for sure because nothing official has been released. I mean, the only other DC comic show I know of is Eric Kripke's Dead Man show that he's producing for the CW and he's currently writing the pilot for. Yeah, 
But other than that, there's no connection to Smallville so far. Which I think is going to help them. Yeah, I think it's nice that they're branching out. I mean, I love the Smallville universe, as you all know. That's why we're doing this podcast. But I do appreciate them expanding and not necessarily feeling that they have to connect it all together. If that makes sense. But here's the thing about that, and, and I'm with you, with that, with Smallville, like, is coming up on almost one year of being off the air. I think doing it this way would probably be the best way they could do it. What, making it a spinoff? No, like, breaking off completely and reimagining, like, the Green Arrow story. I don't know how I feel about the Green Lantern writers writing this. If it was Jeff Johns or Frank Miller attached to this, or even Brian Kelly, I'd be more on board. Yeah, I mean, my thing is, well, Kevin my thing is, I like the Green Lantern movie, and I don't care if I get hate for this. I enjoy the Green Lantern movie. It really is not I bad. There was just a lot of like big glass with it. Was everybody's glass with it? There's a lot of scenes missing. Yeah, I guess. I don't I don't really see that though. If you just watch the movie and keep an open mind, it's a really good movie. It's nothing like Superman yeah. Returns. Superman yeah, Returns maybe, is terrible. Maybe I didn't come in with the biggest open mind. If they do do well maybe it would maybe still better about it. Well, I hated it when I saw it the first time. I had to watch it the second time and I loved it. So Yeah. I don't know. I watched it the extended cut. Um on Blu-ray when I watched it the second time, so, yeah. I only saw Let it in the theater once. Let me ask you a once. question, though. Yeah? Is, is, do you know if it's Connor Hawk or Oliver Queen? Pretty sure it's Oliver Queen. Because if they can do Connor Hawk, which is kind of like what we were hearing rumors about, like, uh, Connor Kent, Superboy, mm-hmm. that thing, yeah, I agree they could, but I don't see that happening because, honestly, if you were to ask anyone who Green Arrow's secret identity was, who has some mild knowledge of comics, they'd all say Oliver Queen. No one really knows who Connor Hawk is, unless you're a hardcore 90s JLA fan or Green yeah, Arrow fan. kind of like when people say Robin, what's his name, Yeah, I mean, they either say Dick Grayson or Tim Drake. Most people don't know who Jason Todd was, or Stephanie Brown, or even Damian, Damian Wayne, for that matter. You automatically associate it with those two characters, because they're the most popular. Yeah. We're going to keep you abreast about this, guys. This is the first time I've heard about it, but, but keep your eyes and ears close to the internet. I'm going to go to Crystal's Day once I get my computer back and try to find some more information. Because this could be a little Wonder Woman thing, it could. It could. I saw the Wonder Woman pilot, and I realized why NBC didn't pick it up. Mainly, first of all, she kills people ruthlessly, but that's another story for another time. But I, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's also NBC. So, yeah, I mean, that's all the news we have for today, guys. So, now to get into our review on Rosetta. Now, I, okay, I wa- when I watched it today, 
I tried watching it with the commentary, the Alan Miles commentary, and I was halfway through and I had to stop. So I switched to the other commentary with Rosenbaum, Welling, and all them. It was hilarious. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Before we get into before we get into the episode full, I have to just say some like production things about this episode. This episode is written by Al Alan Miles and directed by James Marshall, although the Virgil Swan Clark can scene in New York, which is actually in New York, is shot by Grand Union. Mm-hmm. It's episode seventeen. But yeah. Rosenbaum, like my pointage and said, there's two commentaries. I I watched this episode today with both the commentary films and without any commentaries. Rosenbaum, uh, James Marshall, Tom Rowling, Greg Beeman, and Chris and Kirk do one commentary. And what did you say? Rosenbaum, rare form. Tom Welling is really good in that too, though. Yeah. The director's <laughs> cut. Shut up, Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Kirk has, like, the best laugh ever. She doesn't really say a whole lot in that commentary. Her laugh is just... Well, I, can't, I can just, like, imagine her reaction to what's going on. And that's, yeah, that's funny that. as it is. And... And I'm so looking forward to breaking in Rosenbaum's comedy, comedy coming back. Oh my gosh, yes. But yes. anyway, to get back into this, like, the actual episode proper, and the funny thing about the commentary is Rosenbaum starts it off by doing whooshing sounds of Clark's life. Yes. I'm Michael Rosenbaum, I play Lex Luthor, and I also am sound effects guy. And then they all and then they all scream when the car's about to hit Clark. Okay, yeah, there is a dream sequence at the beginning, but let's go with Clark flying into, into the Karachi cave, which I thought was really well done. But the scene where he's almost getting hit by the car, once again a Porsche, Lex like Lex Porsche for some reason. Yeah. And you know what? It looks exactly like the one in the pilot too. It's obviously not, seeing how that's in the secret Clark stocking room. Yeah, but it does look a lot like the one in the pilot though. He probably got the same exact model to replace it. He was like, I yeah. really like that car. Bummer. Yeah. Well, Bridge isn't going to stop me. To give you a little backstory on this episode, like what's gone on the season before this episode, um... Clark found a cave, like, episode five or six in the second season, and, um, from the Kalachi people, or the Kalachi people originally found it, but he's missed a lot of prophecies about aliens, possibly aliens, in Smallville. Right. Yeah. And he tells Jonathan and Martha after the wonderful opening credits, to fucking save me. Which was about the great version of, by the way. Oh my gosh. Um, that he's been like, have been having these 
dreams, like intense dreams, and then waking up in strange places. Mm -hmm. Which happens again in season 10. Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah, it's the Mr. Spike campaign. Yeah. It's it's a little different. Yeah. And Martha and Jonathan are scared, but I love how Amanda O'Toole and Schneider play. They're scared, but they try to keep it under wraps. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Jonathan does a better does better at that than Martha does. No. I don't know about that because Jonathan yells. It doesn't really shit. It doesn't really like hide your fear when you start yelling just randomly. Well, well, he doesn't really. Well, I mean, he hides his fear through yelling at Clark. Yeah. It's a weird. Um, it's a weird way to do it, but it, that's I guess how he does it. So. Yeah, and what what I could show that Clark, he doesn't know what's going on really either. No, he has no clue. And he's freaked out as well. Yeah, he's just as freaked out as his mom and dad are. Um, let's just get this out of the way because it's like the C plot. There's an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot in this episode, which is kind of rare that you have three main plot points. Plot A is Clark's dreams and the cave and meeting up with the virtual swamp. Plot B is Dr. Walden and Lex trying to decipher um, the languages on the cave walls, walls trying to find out what Clark's hiding, and Park C is Lana jumping on Chloe's green iMac and noticing that Chloe has spilled the JPEG files on the night of the, the spring formal. Which, which I'm going to get this out of the way now. The C plot is so old. I'm so sick of that plot line. Just the irony of this thing. Lana, like, accidentally, quote unquote, accidentally finds these JPEG files, and Chloe gets on Lana about snooping around. Isn't that, isn't that what Chloe does, like, every episode up until this time? Yeah, isn't that what Chloe does for a living? Yeah, I mean, she's, like, overstepped people's doggies, including Lana's. Right. I mean, now, don't get me wrong, as much as I don't like this plotline, because it's so old, I do like in this episode how it's resolved. Yeah. Well, then, just to give a little background story, um, Aunt Mel, Lana's aunt has moved to Metropolis with her new husband, so she's, so Lana's actually living with Chloe now, which actually makes it a little bit more awkward. Well, it's kind of creepy, actually. Yeah. Because of Mr. Sullivan, not because of Chloe. Yeah. And here's the thing that I love about this scene, in this, not the talent, but in the torch. Chloe just freaking goes, please don't look at me like that. And she says, like, what? Like, a desperate, a desperate girl that's trying to hold on to something that she never really had. Well, isn't that what you're doing, Chloe? <laughs> That's just, that, not to be mean, but isn't that what you're doing? Yeah. And she doesn't, Chloe does mention in Fever that um, she did, Pseudo tried to tell Clark how she felt. And that for the, 
and this was when she began in season eight, the first word he said, and he's like, stick, stick illness, like, stayed was Lana. Mm-hmm. Chloe really just has, like, a lot of, like, emotional issues, which is probably why, you know, why she has many of her trust issues to begin with. Not her fault, really, but right. she just likes old Clark that, that she wanted to date him. I don't think he'd say no. Well, he didn't. I mean, he kind of was counting on that in the season one finale. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the minute she shows strength is, is the minute Clark is going to be attracted to someone. We see this later on with Lois. Right, and which, which I don't understand. Lana does really, honestly, she really does not show strength until season six and onwards. But he's somewhat attracted to her. Yeah, yeah, I know. So because of her great legs, Lana has great legs. No comment. Next. Um, okay. Um, with Dr. Walden stuff. Oh my gosh, the commentary about him. Yes. That is hilarious. If you have not watched the commentary for Rosetta, the second commentary for Rosetta, you need to watch it. I don't normally watch commentaries either, but th- it is really good, to be honest. So yeah, um, not to go back to the lot of Chloe thing you did mention, they wrapped it up. One of the things that they set up early on in the episode is that everyone has a class project about who their family members, who their family members are, and a lot of like with her like, like family tree under sister Chloe Sullivan. And this actually is setting up what happens later on at the end of the season with Chloe and Chloe and Clark and Lana. It's actually the other way around. Say that again? I said it's actually the other way around. Didn't you say Lana put Chloe as her sister? Where isn't it Chloe put Lana as her sister? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No problem. Yeah. But... Wasn't it, wasn't it really does set up the end of the season really, really well? Yes, it does. And it sets up the next season really well as well. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. I wanted to do these ones particularly. Because, I mean, you really didn't even need the next five episodes after Rosetta. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't even know why this wasn't like the last one before the finale. What, you think or Rosetta should have been? Wait, re- what'd you say? Well, well, I don't understand why Rosetta, like, was this, like, number seven. I wanted it to be, like, number 22 looking back at it. Because in this season we had 23 episodes. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was probably due to Chris Brief's scheduling. Yeah, that's true. But also, it's probably <clears throat> a way to resolve Chloe and Lana's issues. Just so that they can start them back up again quickly. You know? Or, or so we think. Or, well, hit much, much. Yeah. Um, the Dr. Walden and Lex stuff. Um... 
He tickled him the whole time he was in the bed. Lex knows that Clark is hiding something again. That he's trying to be more like his dad in terms of kind of wiggle it out of Clark. Mm -hmm. Clark is way too smart for that. Yes. And Dr. Walden, um, after Lex sneaks around the the cave, all the Kryptonian key, or as I like to call it, the Kryptonian skeleton key that opens up everything looks like on the show. Exactly. But how much, when you're thinking, how much does this one little key activate in the suit? Well, the thing is, he destroys the ship later in the season, which we're going to talk about that episode next. But the key is never destroyed. So obviously there's a reason for that. Yeah. And really, it's the one trap that lasts throughout the season. Yeah. 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 But Dr. Walden gets, like, fried by the, um, the wall in the Kwanji cave. But because he is fried, because he's not a Kryptonian, and this is leading up into Clark's face. This is what happens when a human puts the key into the cave wall. Yes. I love Willing's comment when he did the, the quote-unquote Jesus pose, that they put like a little stand up his like butt, up his rear end, just like he made the face in the cave that he did. Oh my gosh, yeah. Again, commentary equals awesomeness. Yes. Um, Clark, this is the first episode that Clark actually hears the Kryptonian ring. The annoying ring, yeah. Yes, which I will admit is the most annoying sound that I will probably hear, not only in the series, but in every period. I should set that as my phone ringtone. So, no, that's for your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> oh no, that woman is calling me. Decline. Yeah, totally. Well, totally, because I think I'm going to throw Click. Click. Turn it off! Yeah. But Clark is hearing, like, with this Kryptonian ring. He actually finds the key that Jonathan hid a couple of episodes earlier in the, in the bar, and he goes, he sticks the, the Kryptonian key into the cave wall and he's downloaded with the Kryptonian language that first appeared in the Silver Age of DC, I think, in Superman? I believe so, yes. I think it's, it's like Superman in history is right, the Kryptonian language, and I thought it's just like a geek. <laughs> but I think it first appeared in like the 70s or 60s, I think. Um, the language? Yeah. I think they created it in the 90s, actually. Well, I think it was created during the more Westinger, um, Julie Schwartz, like, Grand Area of the Silver Age. I may be wrong, but I think that's where it first appeared. Yeah, I don't think they actually brought out the alphabet until late 90s, early 2000s, but I think the language itself was mentioned at least during the Silver Age. Yeah, and apparently I've been told by my friend, our mutual friend and acquaintance, 
Yeah, there actually is. Um, I don't know if you have it, but the Superman, Batman, Volume 2 of that series, the Supergirl storyline, where Kara Kent is introduced into the mainstream DC Comics, um, it actually in the back has the translation to Kryptonian alphabet to the English alphabet. So if you want to, so any of our male listeners, or even our female listeners, wants to write a nice little love letter, write a little Kryptonian for Valentine's Day. No kidding. Yes. Um, um, but just to um, start speeding up this, since we've already been going a half hour. Yeah. Um, uh, to speed this along, yes. Um, after Clark um, is dominated with the, the language, he thinks everything is cool, which clearly it's not. Um, the best use of heat vision, I think, in the series with this whole Kryptonian symbol for hope. Okay, you would go series. Okay. Alright. Well, well, no, I think it's like the most iconic use of the heat vision we've seen in the series. Oh, okay. Okay. Iconic, Other yes. Than the Iconic, yes. I'll agree with that, definitely. And to tell you the truth, when I first saw this episode, like, because this ep one episode got a lot of press because WB at the time was really pushing the, pro the promotion machine to say that, yes, Chris Louis will be on small this week. Yeah. And when I first saw this scene, like, watching the WB, I thought well, what the symbol was going to be with the issue. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's the station that was going to be Kryptonian for the South. Yes. And this leads into the introduction of Virgil Swan. Chloe's getting some spam, getting like a bunch of spam emails directed to Clark. Mm -hmm. Clark finds out who this actually is, and it's Virgil Swan, aka Mr. Christopher Reed. Yes. And Martha and Jonathan are like, we don't want you to see this guy. This might be another Roger Nixon, Sam Stanley kind of thing. Mm hmm. And if you've seen the earlier episode, you know the rest of this, so I don't have to explain. Yeah. Um, I think this is like the one of the best Kent family scenes, early Kent family scenes, before like all the craziness that happens later. Mm hmm. Uh, uh, Jonathan asking what's going to the family, no, Clark has to go along. And I'll let my partner intro this next scene with the great Mr. Reed. Thank you very much for this honor. Um, the scene, as the scene goes, <laughs> as the scene goes, Clark has to face his destiny and his heritage himself. So he says, so he super speeds, I'm assuming, to New York to meet Dr. Swan in the back of an observatory, I believe it is. 
And what happens is, as Clark walks in, he sees a man behind a desk. And he doesn't know... And he, Well, the man introduces himself as Virgil Swan to Clark. And Clark's a little freaked out, to be honest. Clark doesn't really know what to think about all this. He's seeing Kryptonian words in the background. He's seeing maps of the stars. He's seeing where Krypton used to be. All while hearing the little notes of the Superman theme in the background. Thank you, Mark Snow. Yes, I was freaking out when I originally saw this thing. Because really, and Miles Miller mentioned this too, this is the first time Clark's actually hearing what his home planet was called. Right, it's the first time he's heard Krypton. It's, I mean, after this episode, it's, I think, the first instances he starts using the word kryptonite. And he, yes. this is also the first time he hears his real name, Kal-El. Yes. And also, for the viewers that have not, who first watched Smallville that knew nothing about Superman, this is the first time they themselves are doing the Exactly. Which I think is very cool. And I think it was very cool how Christopher Reeve originally he was only supposed to be there for like two hours because Rick Beam and Rishon Martin like had a very simplistic kind of like shot detail. Mm-hmm. And he insisted to make it more detailed because he wanted the scene to be there. So he spent like an extra three hours to get the scene right and get the scene really really good because he knew he was passing it on passing this mythology on to the next generation absolutely absolutely and that is something that people argue about because a lot of people and this does not sound crazy but a lot of people do not like Tom Welling as Superman or as Clark Kent and yeah Mainly that it took a while for me to warm up to him too. Honestly, well, it really didn't take me very long because as I started in season six, he kind of was starting to establish himself more, and then I went back and watched the others, and I'm like, "This is Superman." But anyway, and what people don't realize is Christopher Reeve never talked to Brandon Ralph. Brandon Ralph was never given Christopher Reeve's blessing. Christopher Reeve played Superman four times and holds that character in such high regard, even above himself. And to pass that torch on to Tom Welling is probably the biggest honor Tom could have gotten. And Tom even said, like, even like this last year, the last year at Comic Con, somebody asked him about the. His experience working with Christopher Reeve, this was come before season 10 started. And he, like, if you got, because you will see this on the final season, like, DVD box set, because they have this as a special feature. And for those of you who have seen the Comic Con footage, he's very, very honored to this day that he got to, like, shoot scenes of the season two and three with Christopher Reeve. Yeah. So. I mean, that's all I have to say about that. What about you? Yeah. The gist of this, this scene is not only the mythology thing, but like we were talking about before, um, Clark getting the message that, you know, he can't just sit up in his loft, look through his telescope, and, you know, he wants answers. 
he has to go find the answers for himself, and he may not like those answers. That message rings true for the end of the season, um, because you find out he doesn't listen to Dr. Swan. Yeah. Yeah. And before we go on to Exodus, this message has been, the Kryptonian message in the ship has been debated about applaud by fans, by Smallville fans, all the way through to season 10. What Joel says in the ship when um, Clark puts the Nestle chocolate bar into the ship, the hard drive, and the message says, you callow live on a planet, you are God amongst them, rule over them with your strength. What Joel meant and what we find out in the two seasons, what he meant by rule is rule by example, mm -hmm. rule by kindness, and rule by your inner strength, not the strength by the other side. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is why I think he also installed the fail safe in the Orban case. Yeah. And but, yeah. Really, and it's really, it's really kind of refreshing knowing where the series goes. And it's, it's been years since I've seen this episode, like a good year since I've seen this episode. It might have been a cheesy response the way Clark responded after reading that message. But remember, it's he's 16 here. Yeah. yeah. He's not 20. He's not 20. He's not like close to 30 when the show ends. Yeah. Big difference between the two. Well, you still has a far way to go. This, this moment, I believe, is really his beginning to becoming Superman. Because Clark Kent is Clark Kent, and he will always be Clark Kent. But Superman is Kal-El if we're to be honest with ourselves. That's what people know him as besides Superman. They all know him as Kella. Yeah. And that's who he needs to become to become the world's greatest hero. Yeah. And looking back at this episode, the great acting by Schneider and William in the scene, looking back at this episode, this episode sets in motion everything that, that happened till we get to the 100th episode in season 5. Yes, and I think yeah. the season two finale, the one we're doing next, Exodus, actually has a lot of emotion in it as well. You know, let's talk about Exodus. Like, once again, episode 23, directed by Greg Beeman. I think my partner and favorite Smallville director, and written by Alan Miles. Yes. Um, the episode starts off with coming back from the previous episode, Calling. Lex's wedding reception, and in that episode, Lana and Clark make out in the loft. Clark is on cloud nine. He couldn't be happier, but then he gets starts seeing this light come from the storm cellar, and it's the first appearance of Terrence Stamp as Jura, or the, the memory of Jura. The voice of Jura. Yeah. Who, and, as we and, find out later, okay. is actually a AI of Jor-El's brainwaves, so he's not the caring, loving father that Jor-El actually was. He's his will well, and his mind. Julian Sands. Yes. Yes. He's not Julian Sands. He's Terrence Sands. Yes. Uh, I love the use of the CGI with the big Martha, Jonathan, and Lana. 
Yes. I love how the ship well, moves, too. Yeah, and listen to what this Joel is saying. He's not saying anything evil. No, he's not. He's just being, I guess, cold and unemotional. Which is what... Yeah. Which is kind of what Jor-El intended, but at the same time didn't, you know? Yeah, and here's the interesting thing about Clark in this opening scene. He doesn't actually... When Jor-El says, you have to fulfill your destiny, he doesn't actually ask the voice what his destiny is. Yeah, to Jor-El's credit, he really doesn't. You're right. Yeah, yeah, and to Clark's with this credit, he doesn't ask the voice for life, what are you talking about, what is my destiny? And he really never again, asks... Right, but he never really asks that question throughout the entire series. Eventually, he just knows. And this is the beginning of Clark, the, the, whiny, the whiny streak that no one looks at. I love this girl! I love my family, I'm not gonna go. But it's understandable. Yeah, and it's not until the death, death of his dad that you realize he had no choice but to go. Or else they'll leave him. Yeah, and really, and really what's poignant about this scene is Jarrell's right from the get go, from this episode all the way to pretty much season eight. Because Lana's gone, Martha's gone, Jonathan's dead. Lionel's dead. Yeah, I mean, really, Clark fought it for years, but Jonathan's fought on about everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we'll talk more about Lex next week. We'll, I'll just say this about Lex and Helen. I have problems with it, I have issues with it. I'll explain it because we are doing uh, Phoenix in, what's the other one? Um, do you uh, want to give me a chance? Exile and Phoenix. Yeah, Exile and Phoenix. I'll voice my problems with it next week. I would say this. I think it was uh, not to go into too deeply with this. I will say Dr. Helen Bryce, it didn't make sense. It didn't? It didn't make sense. Um, let me clear that up. It didn't make sense. I thought it was a bad swerve. I didn't think the surprise was really a, was a good surprise, and it didn't really make sense to me. It came out of left field, and I'll explain more next week. Yeah. And now. Okay. Okay. Well, while we're on the subject, actually, of this relationship, I do want to bring something up. For our audience, for continuity purposes, in season 10, episode Scion, it's revealed that the clone of Lex Luthor, Alexander Luthor, actually has Clark's DNA as well when he becomes Connor Kent and loses Lex's memories because of the Kryptonian DNA. We find out in that episode that that Kryptonian DNA is the was used from the same sample that Lex stole from Helen Bryce's office in season two. Yeah, okay, that's not my problem with the that part I don't have a problem with at all. It's, oh, oh. Uh, 
more towards Lex and Helen's like relationship because I really enjoyed it. But again, I'll explain more about that next week. Oh, I understand. I was just saying for continuity's sake, we should probably mention. Oh, okay. It. Sorry about that. No problem. There's so, an interesting thing I want to talk about. When I was re-watching this episode, doesn't this episode seem like a lot like commencement in writing? Yeah. Yeah. Without it, the countdown? Yes. Because when you're watching this episode, guys, you do get like this kind of sickly feeling that something good is not going to happen. And by God, by God, did that not ring true? Well, well, the thing is, by the time you get to Clark destroying the ship, it's not even close to being over yet. Yeah, it, I forgot about the truck tipping over like it didn't pilot, like the pickup truck tipping over in pilot. Mm. I didn't, I did not remember that. Uh, Clark, I think, just likes wrecking trucks. Clark just enjoys wrecking trucks. <laughs> yeah, the pickup. I think they should just, like, stop buying red pickup trucks. Here's another thing about this episode, too. Um, and it's so ironic that Lana, of all people, said this. She said, and it's when Emma, because Chloe at this point knows, because she saw in calling in the loft that um, Lana and Chloe got in a relationship. And they said in the one episode with Jonathan Taylor Thomas, if any, if Chloe got with Clark, or if Lana got with Clark, the, the odd one out would, like, be told immediately what's going on. And Lana says to Clark while they're under the tree, the best way to do this is to be honest. But through the course of this episode, that is the exact opposite on how everyone is to everyone else. Yeah. Which I find really ironic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, the whole show is really built upon secrets. Yeah. Well, this is Clark. Mm. But, but the secrets stay in the rest of the series until we get to season five. Yeah. And Lex obviously has secrets too, and Lana does. Everyone has their own secrets, but mainly it's about Clark's. But really, the argument, there can be an argument be made, or statements be made, that everything that happens here pretty much sets up everything that we see until the end of season five. Oh, yes. Yes. Lionel's duplicity. Um... Lana and Clark with the world when like romance and Lex is like real emotional problems. And when the truck tips over and Clark, the reason Clark destroyed the ship is because he thinks if he destroys the ship, he gets rid of the world that you know. But he is wrong. He's wrong. He tries to put the... Uh, Meteorock controlling this in the ship, and it does destroy the ship. Great CG work with the ship blowing up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For, for early parts in the season or in the series, that was one of my favorite ones. Yeah. And the episode moves so fast, 
where you forget some plot points in the episode, which I totally forgot about Chloe. Yeah. At the end of the episode. Well, I was so into it. Yeah. I mean, you get so into it, and it's so ironic to see Lana in a church with Lex at a wedding. Well, this is only Lex's second wedding. He's going to have one more by the time the show's over. Yeah. And what do you think about Martha Kent's pregnancy or lack of a pregnancy? I have mixed feelings about it. I think it would have been very cool. A very cool addition to the Superman mythos. I honestly had no problem with it, but I knew it wasn't going to survive. And the fact that Clark took that away from them, I think that's what hurts me the most. Especially since he didn't yeah, and, mean to. I mean, I thought it was kind of cheesy, personally, when I first saw season two. But boy, did they turn that cheesy into something really, really emotional. Good job by John Schneider. He's like, show the pain, show the, like, the heartache, but not go out and say, Clark, I hate you, son. Well, the thing is, that's the angriest so far in the series that we've seen Jonathan get with Clark. Yeah. And I think that's the angriest period we've ever seen Jonathan get with Clark, unless he's on drugs or on some sort of hallucinogen flower or something, but those don't count. Yeah. And really, Clark isn't really wrong about who's at fault here. He lies to his parents that right before Lex's wedding that everything was fine and he didn't hear the voice again. The voice said he, the voice was going to take Clark away at the strike of noon. That's why he destroyed the ship that he did. Right. And here's the thing that's really interesting. Other than Chloe selling her soul to the devil. Which uh, we're going to get on in a few minutes. Um, and I know I harp about this character. In my own fanfic, Alicia shows up in red. Oh, here we go. And, <laughs> hold on, hold on. And she says at the end of red, I'm the only one that's ever going to accept you for who you are. And she comes back in this episode. And she hops on a motorcycle with Clark. Wow. Nice fanfic. But what does that make sense, though? I agree. I agree. Um, I have my own fanfic that has to do with this episode, but it actually has more to do with next week's episodes, so I'll save it for them. But you know what I mean? It's like, wouldn't it be great if, like, Alicia's there in the torch or in the high school? It'd be, it'd be great for you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying for even like for story purposes, this gives us quite more re re a reason to leave with Alicia. Yeah, I guess. It first storyline storyline point of view, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, I don't see the Clark Alicia thing as much as you do. So yeah. Well, again, it's my own fanfic, but it would have worked if I could. Yeah, absolutely. And great, great acting by Wellick. Yes. After the whole ship blowing up, 
Because he looks heartbroken. Oh, he... Oh, my gosh. Yes. Again, one of the saddest... Again, that portrayal right there, that's one of the saddest instances we've seen Clark get on the show. There I mean, look at his eyes. Yes. There he looks like he just shot a person. There have only been three other times when that's happened, and that they're all during deaths. Yeah. And good grief. To wrap this to wrap this episode up, in thinking about this episode, in terms of finales, I mean, only this is only the second finale episode we've covered, other than Salvation. This is the only one that actually leaves audience members go, "What is going to happen next?" Exactly. There are no spoil. I mean, there are spoilers because of Krypton site, but most people don't know about spoilers. It's only the second season. We don't know if we're going to get another season. Forget that. I mean, like, I mean, like, Covenant, we all knew he was going to come back. Right. Then they go season four, season five. Well, five, we didn't really know how he was going to come back. But we don't know if Clark's going to, like, where he's going, if he's ever going to come back, or we're going to start the show somewhere else. Uh-huh. Well... Like, Let's think of it this way. You're watching two for the first time live, and it ends. What are you thinking? Yeah. We see a skyline of a city, but we don't know what that city is. We think it's Metropolis, and it is. But are we going to come back to Gotham? Right. Is Clark going to just like... And that's what I think about the, the Alicia thing being so funny. Why would he ever want to go back if he's with Alicia? Which is why I don't think it would have worked. Yeah, and that's my, and I can see that problem too. It's working. And if he does come back, he's coming back with a leadership, and then well, it's just going to be bitter towards Clark for the rest of like season three. But mm-hmm. she's, she's already that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> seriously though, when you put on a red kryptonite ring, first of all, let's just like. I know I'm ranting here, I'm sorry, but why does he have to be Jonathan's motorcycle? Because Clark Kent only rides in style. Well, I find it funny that he puts on the glasses, well, not the glasses, but the leather jacket before he puts the red coconut ring on. Yeah, I found that kind of funny too, actually. Yeah, but... So those keeping track of red meteorites does strip away his inhibition, and I understand why he does do this. Like, like a teenager who's got more traumatic events when he grabs a bottle of crab love. Yeah. He just doesn't want to feel anything because he thinks that he ruined his parents' lives, and he's gonna ruin a lot of us. He's gonna go away. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And but if you wanted to cover Chloe, just for you. Yes, real quickly. I thought it was very. I just short comment. I thought it was very ironic that Chloe makes a deal with the the devil, and in a sort of revenge sort of state, and and later becomes one of the greatest heroes the world has ever known. I just find it kind of odd how she can go from that. 
Oh, no problem. I just thought it was kind of odd that she goes from one, one small place on one side to the complete opposite on the other side. But this is the beginning of Chloe's evolution, really. Yeah. Well, because... After this... Right. She's not just a annoying little creepy blonde that says, Clark, come on. She actually has more of a character after this. Yes, absolutely. And really, this begins Lionel and Clark's relationship, which fans really like. Yeah. Which goes real um, well. But even in that one scene in, in the library with Lionel, Chloe really is questioning even now how I does the right thing. I don't know. I don't know. You can see it in her eyes a little bit. Little bit, but not too much. She's not really remorseful here. Yeah. She's mm -hmm. kind of like, Clark rejected me, and you know what? I'm rejecting him. That's kind of how it goes here, I guess. And that's another reason why Clark leaves. Yeah, I mean, all these things happening at once. I mean, the only one who hasn't betrayed him or he's felt betrayed by is Pete, to be honest. And next, she thinks it's fine, but when he's not, he awakens from a nap and finds that his plane is going to go down into the ocean. And how scary would that be to open the cockpit, see everything broken, and then just fall right into the ocean, having it splatter in your face? Yeah, I know, right? That would freak um, me out. I'd lose it. Yeah. Again, we didn't know what was going to happen the next season. I had no clue. I don't blame Clark for leaving, because I probably would have done the same thing if I was him. If I was had all that stuff thrown on me within the last half hour, I'd probably have done the same thing, too. Yeah. And, you know, and really... That's why I say the Alicia thing with the word too is someone understands me and someone doesn't hear me, okay, you can come along. Absolutely. I and I understand your point too. Yeah. Well right. and then to another great episode, sir. I think this episode was actually pretty fun. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I forgot how good Exodus was. I, you know, I did too. I kind of underrate it. I kind of underrate the second season in general, to be honest, because I haven't watched it in so long. Because it started out with a kind of meh, but it sure ended with a bang. Absolutely. And I think I underrate season three too, because to be honest, season three is probably my least favorite season. And it's not because I don't like it or anything, it's just because I like the others better. It's so, and we'll talk about this like next week, it's so in the dark and it doesn't really let up at all. No, and I, and maybe that's why, because toward yeah. the end of season nine even, it starts lighting up more, especially in Salvation. I was just about to mention that season nine, the last three episodes, you know, gave us a little bit of hope, which we would get later on in season 10, you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas season three, it was kind of dark all the way through, even up to the finale. And then the beginning of season four was kind of dark. The first two episodes. Yeah. And then it started getting yeah, light again. And really, looking back on it, ironically, Relic is the only one that actually has a good tone to Yeah, Relic and... Oh, there's one more that I can't think of right now. 
That's what we'll have to do. Maybe hereafter. Which one is that? That's the one with Jordan Cross. Oh, oh I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hereafter is another one, too. But anyway, yes. And we have to thank the 80s robot? We have to thank the 80s robot. Thank you, 80s robot. And we thank also... Thank you. Book. Yes. Absolutely. And thank you, uh, Dan and Nico, for hosting us on the Across the Airwaves website, iTunes feed, and pretty much every other feed there is. Pretty much. Pretty much. And, um... Our email, sir? Yeah, our email is across at gmail.com. That is across at gmail.com, which you can actually contact us through our, um, Android app, our Cross Airways Android app, which actually gives you access to our email, not to read our emails, no, to send us email. And Are we going to get a Google Plus page soon? I don't know. I will have to talk to Dan about that. Maybe we could have you run that, actually. We'll, we'll see. I, I mean, I don't know. But Speaking it, of pages, what is our Twitter page? Our Twitter page is Across Airwaves. There's no the, just Across Airwaves. But our individual pages, if you want to follow Wu and I, are... WSK9002. And yep. what's yours? And mine is at seven. So... And you can also find us on Facebook. Just type across the airways into the search bar. Yes, and you can also find our YouTube channel, which Nico, Dan, and I respectively run together. I have a new promo up there for our next live show, which by the time you guys hear this will probably be in the next week or two. It is about the TV series Chuck, and we are going to do it sometime after the finale. I don't know if it will be January 27th or not, which is the air date of the finale, but it may be. If not, it would be the week after. So I'll have to check with Dan about that. He'll probably write a post. But again, that is Chuck versus the ATA live show. And that will be sometime within the next two weeks by the time you guys hear and this. I, and, I, and I don't watch Chuck, but I've been seeing a lot of promotion by the actors and even by NBC that this is the finale Chuck is coming Yeah, I think you'd really like the show if you gave it a try, dude. Yeah, now that the show's over, I'll go back and rewatch the DVDs. I'll get it from my library. Uh, yeah, I, th I definitely think you should do that. It would be really cool if we could have had you on the show, though. Yeah, I'm going to get into Heroes soon. Yeah, well, Heroes? Yes. Heroes is good. Season 4 is not. Anyway. Oh, yeah, but we'll probably end up doing a live show for Supernatural soon, too, so... I'll keep you posted on that. But anyway, anyway, for our Across Airwaves hosts and members, Dan Schmidt and Nico Reifstek, I am your host, Michael J. Petty. And we will be back next week for our reviews on the season three premiere, Exile, and the second episode of the season Phoenix, which they go hand in hand, so... Watch out for those guys. That you and are we will see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week on Retro Reviews. So you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now?
Should I go now?